Okay, uh, we're going through a series in the morning on the book of Esther, and we're going through a series on Christian ethics in our catechetical series uh, based upon uh, one of our confessional standards, the Heidelberg Catechism. And um, our Christian um, ethics series is based upon the very basis of ethical, God-fearing, uh, God-pleasing Christian life, and that is the Ten Commandments. We're going to be looking at the, uh, the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, I was thinking about this this past week, that of all the Ten Commandments, and we might have a disagreement on this one, but of, of all the commandments, the third commandment seems probably the least pressing upon us, sometimes because of our confusion about what the third commandment is really talking about. But it just, um, it just doesn't seem as pressing as, for instance, next week we're looking at the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath day and, and the principle of the Sabbath as it holds for us today regarding Sunday. And probably going to have a lot of questions next week during our discussion time. Like, what, can we do this on Sunday? Should we be doing that on Sunday? And, or, you know, uh, sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. That's got a little bit of a bite to it. Or certainly the seventh commandment dealing with matters of sexuality and all of that. The third commandment seems just a little bit, I don't want to use the word boring, but maybe a little less immediately relevant to us. But hopefully, um, as we dig into the third commandment, uh, hopefully some of those thoughts, if we have them, might be dispersed. So um, what I want to do is, um, I want to read this, uh, like we did last week, I want to read the scripture passage from Leviticus chapter 24. I want to read that second, and what I want to do is, uh, A.V., if you can put the Heidelberg uh, Catechism on, uh, question and answers 99 and 100. All right, great. So we'll follow the catechism up, more importantly, with um, our scripture reading. So uh, as we normally do, I'll read the question, and then let's give the answer uh, together. And always, let's not mumble it. Let's just speak it like we're convicted, okay? What is required in the third commandment? Let's say together. We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. All right, question 100. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. All right. For those of you who are new this afternoon, you'll notice at the very bottom here of the screen, says text questions about the sermon to Pastor Phil. There is my cell number, and if you want to pose a question... Um, I'm wondering if we're going to get any questions on the third commandment. Maybe not, um, but maybe so. So there is my cell number. So at the, at the uh, uh, end of the sermon or during the sermon, if you've got a question, you can post that there. Okay. Um, now I want to draw your attention to Leviticus 24 in AV. Um, I'm going to, if you put uh, Leviticus 24 up there, great. And then when I'm done with that, if you will return it to uh, the, the Heidelberg Catechism, if you would. All right. I want to draw your attention now to... Uh, verse uh, 10. Now this follows on the heels of what we confess from the catechism because the very thing that we last confessed was this, 
that God has commanded the third commandment's violation to be punished with death. Wow. Well, okay, we get an example of that from Leviticus chapter 24. So I want to begin reading at verse 10. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp, and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemith the daughter of Debris, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourners, as well as the native, or the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So obviously, we see here that God takes his name very seriously, which raises the question: what, what is it about God's name anyway that, that would require God to go to such lengths that he would command his people to stone this person who blasphemes or who dishonors his name, or as we say, takes the name of God in vain. All right, so we're going to consider the third commandment. And when, when you go to the Ten Commandments, the third commandment reads like this. You are not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord does not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, if you grow up in the context that many of us share here, maybe not every one of us, but many of us, you know, we frequently hear the Ten Commandments, and we get to the Third Commandment, and there's, there's a lot of us who, who say to ourselves, yeah, I've heard that commandment before, but let me ask you this. Do you know what it means, really? What does it mean to take the name of the Lord your God in vain? It's interesting how many people in the Christian church grow up with that commandment, but are kind of at a loss. Like, well, what does it really mean? Very quickly, it's kind of to, to glide us into what we're considering here. When, when I was young and I grew up in the States, in the state of Iowa, which is very agricultural um, territory, and I grew up in a small Iowa town, and periodically as a young boy, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten years old or so, I would go periodically to the barber downtown. And I, I, I remember that, that barber shop, it was just a very small room, and no women went to that barber shop, only the men did. And when you go in there, I can picture it there before me. It was, there was a, a big red barber chair, and there were um, two tables where men could sit and wait for their haircut. And then there was a table in the middle of it, and on that table there were back issues of Western Horseman magazine. And what that tells you a bit was not only that that barber probably owned horses. Well, he didn't probably. He did, and he was all into horses. And, but also um, what it said was this barber was, and it was kind of a religious, pretty religious community in that small Iowa town where I grew up in. And that, that, that barber was what we call um, a good old boy. 
He's a guy who would talk about the, the, the good Lord and talk about the, the good book, you know. And what I remember most of all is that above the barber chair, he had this small sign that said, you are not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He cited the third commandment. And so that was his way of saying, you know, all you guys who come into my barber shop, I don't want any swearing in my barber shop. And the thing was, and I know this, is that these other good old boys who come into the barber shop to get their hair cut, they were left with the impression, and I was certainly left with the impression as a seven, eight, nine year, ten year old, whatever, the young kid, that, that really the third commandment really had to deal with the matter of swearing. And he just kind of left that. You don't swear because that's a violation of the third commandment. And is that really true? Is swearing actually a violation of the third commandment? And if it is, is the, is, the, is the third commandment to be reduced to that or is there more to it? Well, I'm here this afternoon to tell you there's much more to it. So what we're going to do is we're going to extrapolate the third commandment. Now, I want you to listen to the words again of the third commandment. You are not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Just two things I want to bring forward regarding the third commandment. Number one, I want you to notice how the first two commandments are, are a little different than the third commandment when you begin to break it down, especially in terms of language. So you remember the first commandment. Lord says, regarding the matter of idolatry, right? You are to have no other gods before me. Looked at that a couple weeks ago. Last week, second commandment. You have no other gods before me, and you are not to worship or bow down to them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of, to the, of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, I want you to notice in those first two commandments, remember our afternoon service, our catechetical service, is, is teaching-orientated. Right? So it's going to be that focus. Right? So you look at the language of the first two commandments. It's a very personal language. You shall have no other gods, says the Lord. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not bow down and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See? I, me. I, me, my. When you get to the third commandment, it's rather interesting that the third commandment, to fit in with the first two commandments, does not say... Uh, God does not say, you shall not take my name in vain. But he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So it becomes a little bit more objective, a bit more impersonal. You say, why is that? I want to suggest to you that the reason why there's that switch in the third commandment more to the less personal and the more objective, because God is taking us for a moment away from from. His person, and there's more a focus on the name connected with his person. Not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay? Second, so the, so the name is a big deal. And throughout the, throughout the Bible, a name is a big deal, especially in connection with God. Now, that's the first thing, the focus on the name. Secondly, you'll notice that on two separate occasions, name in vain are you. So you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So you pay close attention to that language, and there's a very close connection between name and vain. You're not to use the name of God in a vain way. Now, 
Let me ask you this question. You don't have to respond now, but I just want you to think about that in your head. What does it mean to take the name of the Lord your God in vain? In vain. Especially with little kids. Like, that sounds weird. No, we, we, don't, we, we don't use that kind of language today, really. Taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, kids, I want you to listen to this. When, when you take God's name in vain, that means you, you, you kind of take God's name that is above there. A name that we are to revere and respect. And we're kind of bringing it down to our level. So when we use God's name in vain, it means we're using it frivolously, lightly, to put it more positively. When it comes to the name of God, we are to use the name of God respectfully. Respectfully. Which raises the question, why are we to take the name of God respectfully? What is it about that name that is so important? Well, if you, if you, and I think I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because I have to say it in connection with this sermon now, that when it comes to names in the Bible, the names are very important. Remember I've said before, you can look at your name, and maybe you know what your name means, maybe you don't. But my name is Philip. Kids, my name is Philip. And that comes from the Greek word philippos, which means, is divided into two different words, and it means lover of horses. <laughs> okay, now, that, that, I, I like horses, but I can't say I'm a lover of horses. My point is this, is, and maybe it's the case with your name as well, you, don't you, are, you are not so closely tied to your name. Your name may sound nice, and that's why your parents named you that name, but it doesn't mean that, that who you are is a reflection of your name. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. In the Bible, names in the Bible, even of human beings, are very closely connected to their character. If this is said of human beings, it's even more so said of God. And God has many different names in the Bible. The name that is connected in the third commandment to God here is Yahweh. That is, we oftentimes interpret that as English Jehovah or Yahweh. It is the covenant name of God, and it's an important name because when God covenants with us, he enters into a beautiful, formal bond of friendship and love with us through Jesus Christ. And that is so beautiful, and all that beauty is reflected in the name so that when we use the name of God, we are never to use that name respectfully, but, or um, disrespectfully, but very respectfully. Because the name of God, again, is very closely connected to who he is. So here's the thing. I'll leave you with this. When we use God's name lightly upon our lips, in a sense, what we are doing, or when we disrespect that name, we're taking God's name and we're just kind of dragging it through the mud. And as you can imagine, um, God's not very happy about that. In fact, he takes that very seriously. In fact, he takes it so seriously that, as we see in our passage, he commanded the death penalty for it. Now, the story from Leviticus chapter 24 is a rather interesting story, and I'll, I'll, I'll spend just a moment on this to, to say this. When we dive into the story, what we find is we find two guys that are fighting. And when you examine the, the original language, this is, this is not like they're, they're, they're arguing. It's very interesting, I, I find, um, I raised three daughters and a son, and when our daughters would, 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 would fight, 
It would, it would never really come to like pulling hair or punching or anything. That's what guys do. But, but with the women, they, they, they argue with their words, don't they? It's like, you know, they, they take a sword with their words and they cut each other down. Guys, that lasts for usually about a few seconds. And then what do they do? They fight it out, right? And these two guys are fighting it out. And this is, the original language gives the impression this, this came to a, a real knockdown, drag out battle. They were fisting it up with each other. And we have, the two guys are this. You have a full-blooded Israelite and you have a half-blooded Israelite. So the half-blooded Israelite, as you read in the passage, the mother was a full-blooded Israelite, but his dad, his dad was an Egyptian. So they're fighting it out, and at one point, as you can imagine, when it gets to fists, the guys are really mad, and the half-blooded guy, in the midst of the fight, suddenly does something. He blasphemes, the, the, the two words that are used here, he's, he blasphemes and he curses the full Israelite's God. He doesn't curse the Israelite guy that he's fighting. He directs it upward, <laughs> and he, he blasphemes, he curses the name of the Israelite's God. Now, the word blaspheme in the original language means like to pierce. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to pierce that name. It's almost like he's taking an arrow and shooting it right at, the, at God. But he's also cursing. That means to despise and to deplete and to render as powerless this God. And the idea with that half-blooded Egyptian was in attacking the Israelites' God by blaspheming and cursing his name, he's rendering powerless that God, and in rendering powerless the full Israelites' God, he's rendering his opponent who he's fighting weak and powerless. So that's why he's attacking the Israelites' God. So he blasphemes and he curses. Now, if, we've, if we see two guys fighting outside a bar, right, and they're getting in a fight, and you're, you're hearing all the vulgarities and the God this and Jesus Christ that and all of that kind of stuff, you know, it, it kind of, we expect that, and for some of us, maybe it goes in one year and out the other. Not at this point. So he's blaspheming, he's cursing the name of God, and so what God does, he commands Moses, and he says, gather the people together who have heard this man blaspheme. We need witnesses, and he calls these witnesses together, and the impression of the story is that they validate what this man said in blaspheming and cursing the name of God. So there's testimony to that. And God says, have the people place their hands upon this man as a testimony to this man's guilt. And then what I want you to do is I want you to stone that man. Now, a stoning, I won't spend a lot of time on this. A stoning, as you can imagine, you know, a lot of times we just read about stoning in the Bible, we move on. You think about that, stoning is, is awful. You know, that's, that's not a quick death. It's not like, um, okay, have him kneel and we're going to take off his head with a sword. You know, stoning is people take stones, some small, some big, and it's a collective effort. It's the way of covenant community gathering together and all the people saying, this man is guilty. And they stone him to death. Now, what this does is this shows us just how seriously God takes his name. That's the point. Now, we can look at a story like this. And, you know, it's one of those stories that we read in the Bible. And, again, this is the third book of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And I think as, as Christians today, we look at this and we kind of go, well, you know, it's one of those 
It's one of those stories from the Old Testament where a guy was stoned or, as we saw last week, right, with Nadab and Abihu offering a worship that God did not command. Remember what happened to them. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them, burned them alive. And we read some of these gruesome stories in the Old Testament, and we kind of, it's very tempting for us to say, well, you know, that's the way God functioned back then in the first two-thirds of the Bible. He was just more severe, more vehement in his expressions, but now we have a more loving God and we have a gracious God. Remember what I said about that last week, that God says in the Bible, I, the Lord your God, do not change, right? So God does not change in terms of who he is and in terms of his character, right? So the, the, the question then becomes, okay, if, if you and I today at, as pathway do not live in old covenant Israel, if we don't live a number of thousands of years ago, and if we are not part of what we call the theocracy of Israel, but we live more in a democracy today, we're not living in Israel, living in Canada, and obviously we don't have these kinds of laws today. So what do you do then with the third commandment? The question oftentimes of the commandments is, okay, how do, they, how do they then actually apply to us today? Do they apply? And each of the Ten Commandments do apply to us, but they apply to us in a, I would say, a, a different but also um, a broader and in some ways even deeper way, okay? Um, and, and the way that we see the third commandment here is actually very nicely articulated in this document that we call the Heidelberg Catechism. Actually, it's very helpful because what it does with the commandments is it gets very specific about, about how the commandments, through the teachings of Jesus, actually apply to us today. So the question becomes, okay, if the third commandment does apply, how does it apply? And the catechism mentions a number of things. So let me bring a number of them out now. For instance, you and I can violate the third commandment by, by means of cursing. And biblically speaking, cursing is different than what you and I oftentimes think about in terms of cursing. Uh, cursing from the Bible is using or employing the name of God upon an, a person that you're not getting along well with and using the name of God in order to bring difficulty or evil into that person's life. Now, typically, you don't, you don't, this is not something that you find regularly in the church of Jesus Christ. You may find that in the world, but you don't find that in the church. But what you oftentimes find both in the church and the world is something that you and I connect with cursing, and what is, and what is that? It's your typical profanity, right? Your, your vulgarities. Your typical four-letter words. So I, th I think a lot of times people, um, getting back to the original story when I was a kid and I was in the barber shop, you know, and, and a lot of Midwestern guys thought, oh, the violation of the third commandment is just swearing. You know, you don't swear. Is swearing really a violation of the third commandment? And I would say, Maybe. That if in the midst of your cursing, you're using God, you know what, or Jesus Christ, or something like that in, in anger, when you're employing the name of God, yes, that's an obvious violation of the third commandment. But your, your typical four-letter words, which, you know, what am I going to do? List them from the pulpit? You know what they are, right? So, I mean, <laughs> that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be, this is all online, too. Of course I couldn't do that. And I don't want to do that. But anyway, you do that. That is not so much... I want you to think about this, because some of you may struggle with this. I think every once in a while, you know, you stub your foot, and out, out comes that word, right? But, but 
maybe you're someone here who you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian and I attend worship, and maybe I'm a regular member at Pathway, but I, I got to tell you, I, I do struggle with rough language. That, when, when, swearing t- when that kind of swearing four-letter words are, are constantly being used, I'm not talking just every once in a while, but when they are used regularly, that is not so much an expression of violation of the third commandment as it is an indication of an impoverishment of soul. That something is not right in your relationship with God. And, you know, if you're, if you're a person who's constantly using vulgarities or what we call coarse language, it's, it's kind of an indicator that you need to kind of search your heart and say, okay, where am I really at with the Lord? Because you know what I find as a pastor? I've seen this on a number of occasions. That if I'm working with someone outside the Christian faith and I start sharing the gospel with them, and if we spend a number of weeks together... Over time, it happens invariably if they're really in the process of being converted, they start cleaning up their language. It's very interesting. All right. So, you got that cursing. Just a few other matters that the catechism brings out. We can violate the third commandment by means of perjury. Kids, you know what perjury is? Maybe you've heard that term, perjury. Maybe some of us as adults. What is perjury? Perjury is using the name of God in a court of law in order to cover up a lie. Right, so, so what do they do in a court of law? I don't, I don't know what they do in, in Canada, but you know, in, in, in the States, you know, they, they traditionally put, they put their hand on, used to be the Bible, now they're using other books, right? but it was always the Bible and put your hand on the Bible. You promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you what? God? Yes, I do. Okay. See, that, 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 had, that had some substance years ago because people actually believed in the third commandment. Right? So, so perjury is when you say that, so help me God, and then you end up lying in court. Violation of the third commandment. Another violation of the third commandment is um, the, the employment of what we call unnecessary oaths. Now, I'm not, not going to get into a lot of this, but the Bible presents us with a time when we can give a legitimate oath where we call upon the name of the Lord, for instance, in assuming public office in the land or... In, this, in a court of law, as I noted. All right. But um, sometimes what people do is they will employ the name of God to provide some balance or, 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 or ballast or oomph to a promise that they are making. And, and the Bible says, and even Jesus tells us this, you've got to be careful the way that you employ God's name in oaths. Don't use God's name for light or frivolous oaths. For instance, very quickly. Let's say you, you borrow, let's say you borrow a hundred bucks from somebody tomorrow, and then you say to that, you say to the person to whom, from whom you borrow that hundred bucks, listen, um, uh, I'll pay you on Friday. And then you, and, and then you really get serious, you go, as God is my witness, <laughs> I'll pay you back. Jesus says in regard to that, you don't need to employ the name of God for frivolous oaths. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Just make the promise and keep the promise. But be very careful when you employ God's name in the use of oaths. You only do that in very serious situations, weighty situations. Um, And there's just a couple of other things that catechism brings out. One, another violation of the third commandment is um, in terms of passivity. How many of us have not been in this situation where, and and this is the nice thing about um, uh, a a series on the Ten Commandments, they're all very practical, right? So let's say uh, you've been in a situation, a lot of us have been before, where 
you're overhearing somebody just swearing a blue streak, right? And they're employing the name of God and Jesus Christ and all that stuff. And maybe they're angry in the midst of it. Whatever. We've heard this. How many of us in our lives have actually taken the time to either walk away from that situation and make our statement or call someone to task and say, you know, i got to tell you, I'm, I'm actually offended by the language you're using because what you're doing is you're denigrating, you're, you're running through the mud, the name of my God. You know, most of us, we don't, right? We just kind of move on. That's called a, a sin of omission. We're quiet when, in fact, we should be saying something. Um, then one final way that we can uh, blaspheme the name of God, in, and this is what the catechism brings out here as well, sometimes we can blaspheme the name of God not so much by what we say or fail to say, but we can blaspheme the name of God, we can run it through the mud, we can take it in vain by actually what we do. Now here's a point where a lot of people don't think too deeply you know, about what I just said. Let me give you an example of this. A.V., will you put on that text um, from Ezekiel? Uh, no. Did I send that to you? Okay, maybe I, maybe I didn't. Okay, what did they say? My bad? I never used that language years ago. I was here, it's my bad. It's my bad. I say I made a mistake, I did something wrong. Okay, so listen to this, Ezekiel 36. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it. They were like an unclean woman in her menstrual impurity. So I scattered them among the nations, and before the nations, they profaned my name. They took it in vain. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord your God, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned, you have despised among the nations. So what God is doing there, he's calling his people to task, and he's saying, listen, I put you among the nations so that through your obedience and your lifestyle, you might be a light to the nations. But instead, you have not only violated my commands, but you have become like the nations. In fact, in some cases, you have become worse than the nations. And by doing that, you're disrespecting my name before the nations. They will not take my name and who I am seriously. And thus, in the end, what you're doing is you're dragging my name through the mud. Not so much by what you're saying, but what you're doing. By what you're doing. Here's the point. The third commandment is not just about swearing or profanity. It's much broader than that. Positively, the third commandment is about understanding the name of God because it reflects who he is and also respecting that name, loving that name, upholding that name. And that's what we do in worship twice every Lord's Day. Uphold the name of the Lord. Uphold the name of the Lord. So I'll leave you this. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you say, you know, honestly, in light of this sermon, <laughs> I, I do have pretty, I do have some pretty rough language every once in a while. I, 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 can, I can swear a blue streak. Or maybe you say, honestly, my life at times has been a pretty poor witness to those who I know and who know me as a Christian. And obviously, there have been times where I must admit in my life that I have been a really bad example to them, a bad witness to them.
Or, uh, I have heard God's name taken in vain and run through the mud and I chose to keep quiet. I was more concerned about what people thought of me than what, what they thought about God. Or maybe finally, uh, you're a person here and you say, you know what, honestly, um, I, don't, I don't struggle with the third commandment so much now, but I did at one point in my life. When uh, I was in my mid-twenties, I had just recently gotten out of the military, and um, as you can imagine, the military vulgarities with the employment of God's name were used frequently. I had drill instructors who had a facility with swearing to such a degree that they could insert them between syllables of words, and it just came across almost like poetry, you know. But... um, when you come out of that situation, you take that with you. And there was, um, there was a time in my life where I was very foul-mouthed and never thought twice about it. Um, and and it, was, it was easy. Just, it, you, you get into that trap, maybe some of you identify with that, you come out of that, and it, it just rolls off the tongue almost effortlessly. And I remember I was in a restaurant one time with a bunch of buddies, and I had a couple pretty strong Mai Tais in me at that point, and my tongue became loosened, and I was swearing a blue streak. This is, um, I'm ashamed, but I, you know, Bible says confess your sins. I don't mind it, because I'm in Jesus. So I, I was swearing like crazy, and this, the, there was a family in a table, it's a Chinese restaurant. She turns around, and she says, can you watch your mouth? Because I have a couple small children with me, and I knew at that point that I had very much uh, crossed the line, and I knew enough with, as someone who grew up in the Christian faith that that was, that was something that was uh, highly offensive uh, to her and, most importantly, highly offensive uh, to God. I think I still struggled with it after that, but it was only until I really started to meet my wife, and, uh, you know, guys, we usually marry up, don't we? And uh, she helped me, and, uh, well, here I am now. Um, but you know what, uh, guys, why, why not? I don't know about women, but with guys, you know, when you, stu- when you stump your foot hard, what do you say? <laughs> it still comes out of my mouth every once in a while. I'm, ashamed, I'm always saying, oh, I hope nobody around the church is around, you know. So here, here's the point, and, and the reason why I take some time with this, kids, I want you to listen up to me. You know, even if you grow up in the church, <clears throat> you can go through those periods in your life I want you to be very careful about the things that you involve yourself in in your life because a lot of times I think you think that you can get involved when you're in your younger years and you get older and you get wiser and you start getting serious about the things of God. And then you think, okay, now I don't have to struggle with those things anymore. That's not true. They carry with you for many, many years, sometimes to your dying day. And every once in a while, all it takes is a bad situation they come right up to the surface. It's like taking this, this plastic ball in a pool and you can hold it down with one hand for only so long and every once in a while it slips from your fingers. It comes right up to the surface. That's what happens in, even in the Christian life. And we all relate to that to some degree, I think. So, my friends, listen. Here's the thing. We, we, are, we are all guilty. And, and remember I said the third commandment maybe doesn't seem that, that important to us or all that applicable. It is. It is. It is. 
And the thing is, is we are all guilty in one way or another. But here's the other thing. There is always hope for the guilty. And that hope lies in Jesus. For as Jesus, who not only offers us forgiveness when we own up to either what we have done or what we are doing today or what we are saying or not saying, there is always hope in Jesus. For he offers us forgiveness and he offers us freedom from the difficulties that we go through. And he offers us the power over time to die to destructive patterns and adopt the kind of language and the kind of lifestyle that not only honors the name of God, but honors God himself. And if this is true, then we all need Jesus. And we all need to draw to him now. Let's do that. Let's have a brief prayer together and see if we have any discussion. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we all have a story to tell, I suppose, when it comes to the commandments and even this commandment here. Father, we pray, be gracious to us and grant, oh Lord, a clean mouth, a clean heart, a clean life, for your honor's sake, for your name's sake, for the sake of the world, Lord, who's listening in or watching. And Father, we pray that, O oh Lord, you would grant us your Holy Spirit to that very end. More and more, O oh God, fashion us, we pray, into the image, into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that takes time. But we know, Lord, that when we are tied to you, you will do it. You promise to do that. Grant that to us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.